Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Good morning and a very warm welcome to the final hour of Africa Rise and Shine this morning. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We're on DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802 and on www.channelafrica.co.za. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Anne Musa, Tabisolo Hoko and Figilele Nwati. In our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa, India begins world's biggest COVID vaccination program and top South African government official dies of COVID-19. But first up, the news with Anne Musa. the globe every second there's always a breaking story what we want to achieve is a healthy and vibrant economy which can ensure full employment to our people the government concurs with the views of the black economic empowerment council report that it is now necessary to make our policies on black economic empowerment more explicit. Last May, I asked constituencies at Netlab to discuss youth employment incentives. I'm pleased that discussions have been concluded and that agreement has been reached on key principles. We are on an ambitious drive to industrialize, to attract investment, and to create more jobs for the youth of our country. They don't have jobs. I tried looking for a job for it's a year and a half now. The challenges were periods and the, the level of education which I have. Channel Africa. Welcome to Change Your Game on Channel Africa, the African perspective. We are coming to you from Johannesburg, right here in South Africa. I'm Asanda Beda, your host. Change Your Game, the program that promotes open discussion and social dialogue as we highlight real issues in the African entrepreneurship ecosystem. Trevor Mumba now joins us in studio to talk about his entrepreneurial and personal journey. Welcome to Change Your Game, Trevor. Thank you so much. Um, it's an honor to be here. Palesa Mukubong, who's a designer. Welcome, Palesa, to Change Your Game. Thank you. Your role at the fourth annual Fashion Without Borders event? I just know that I need to arrive and, and, <laughs> okay. and do my part and do it really, really well. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. There's nothing good about alcohol alcohol is destructive alcohol destroys families alcohol destroys life alcohol contributes to unprotected sex and spreading of diseases alcohol contributes 
to domestic violence, abuse of children and women. Channel Africa. When I think back to my childhood, geographically, it reminds me of a time where I was black and only black and only struggling, but at the same time, always reaching for something more, something bigger in a South Africa that was hostile. Hello, Africa. This is 1000 African Voices, and I'm your host, Avurengui. Join me on Channel Africa every Thursday morning between 8 and 9 and on Saturday and Sunday morning between 9 and 10. Rise, Africa, rise. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Follow Channel Africa on these social media platforms. On Facebook, Channel Africa 1. On Twitter, at Channel Africa 1 and YouTube on Channel Africa Radio. Our website, www.channelafrica.co.za. Channel Africa, from an African perspective. It's 7.05 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine, coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. In India, the first COVID-19 vaccine shots were administered on Saturday. As the country rolled out, one of the largest vaccination drives anywhere in the world. 10 million frontline workers will be vaccinated in the first phase, with an eventual aim to inoculate 300 million Indians by August. India is using the Oxford shot being produced by the Serum Institute locally, as well as an indigenous developed vaccine called Covaxin. Neha Punya was at a vaccination centre in Delhi. This is just one of 3,000 vaccination centers set up across the country to administer the first COVID-19 vaccine shots. On the first day itself, 300,000 healthcare workers have been inoculated, 100 at each center, including this one. This is one of Delhi's largest government facilities, and volunteers are walking in through that door behind me. Inside, their details are being noted down on the COVID app, which will be used to track the two-dose vaccine. After being vaccinated, they are being monitored for 30 minutes to ensure there are no side effects. In the weeks ahead, India will vaccinate 30 million medical and frontline workers free of cost. And an emotional Prime Minister Modi said that vaccinating those most at risk will be a priority. Prime Minister Modi is not getting inoculated yet and has said that politicians will not be allowed to jump the line. Mr. Modi has also defended his government's decision to deploy a locally developed shot called Covaxin, which is still undergoing clinical trials and has not proved its efficacy. The opposition accusing the government of treating Indians like guinea pigs, but Prime Minister Modi called this propaganda and misinformation. We have credibility. We have earned this credibility from our track record. India produces 60% of the vaccines given to children in the world. Our vaccines are made in tried and tested methods. They will give defining victory in the war against COVID. At this centre, the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine or Covishield has been deployed. It's one of two vaccines that have been granted emergency authorization by the Indian government. The other is Covaxin, a local candidate that has been developed by Bharat Biotech. And beneficiaries across India will not be given a choice over which vaccine they'd get. 
but anyone who gets Covaxin will need to give their consent and will be monitored by health teams later. Some citizens are hesitant and even resident doctors of one of Delhi's largest hospitals have said that they don't want to get the Covaxin shot. Instead, they'd much prefer if the government gave them the Covishield vaccine. We shouldn't fall prey to misinformation. Healthcare workers like me have been at the front line of the COVID-19 fight and it's been tough. Everyone should come forward and get vaccinated now. I urge everyone to get vaccinated. I got vaccinated today and even I was nervous before I got the shot, but I'm fine now. It's completely safe. The government also claims that trust in the vaccine is high. The health minister quoted a survey to say that 80% of all Indians are ready to take the vaccine, with the government reiterating that this is a shot of hope for the country. Neha Punia, New Delhi. South Africa's President Sil Ramaphosa has paid tribute to King Victor Tulare of the Babedi Kingdom, saying while his life was short, he was a visionary leader. Ramaphosa was speaking at the king's funeral held at Mutlaletsi at Sikukuni in Limpopo on Sunday. Khoshikhulu Tulare Victor Tulare III died on the 6th of January at the age of 40 due to COVID-19-related complications. The king after a protracted battle for his kingship, was recognized as the rightful leader of the Bapedi nation in May 2020 and was due to be inaugurated later this year. Busichimombe reports. A life cut short, but one with many dreams and plans for his people. This was President Cyril Ramaphosa's characterization of the late king, Khoshikhulu Victor Tulare. Ramaphosa says the young king had developed a master plan to build a modern city to improve the lives of his subjects. Koshitulare set out to lead his people on a path of economic prosperity. He brought experts together to chart a new economic path for Hasekukuni with a strong focus on youth empowerment. He used to say I am still young, I still have agility. With minerals and other natural resources abundant in his area, he wanted to work with the mining companies to grow the local economy and stem the tide of young people leaving this area and going to the cities. Chairperson of the National House of Traditional Leaders, Ngozi Sipomatlango, echoed the president's sentiments on the impactful leadership of Khoshikhulu Tulare, saying his perspective went far beyond just his specific kingdom. Khoshikhulu Tulare III played a very significant role when we were establishing the business entity that belongs to traditional leaders in the name of United Relationships Holdings, an entity where he sent his advisor, Obaba and Jabilin, to be the one that works with us. And he wanted this entity to lead in making sure that uh, resources that are in areas of traditional leadership in their communities benefit those communities and those communities become owners of those uh, mining companies that are in their own areas. American civil rights leader, Reverend Al Shopton, sent his virtual tribute to the king and said they had formed a bond when they met at the Global Citizens Concert in 2019. Shopton says they had much in common. 
I quickly saw how in His Majesty King Victor Tularay, the kind of visionary leadership that has brought a significant change in people's lives throughout the African continent and particularly in South Africa. We shared a common understanding that the total liberation of black people around the globe cannot come without economic freedom. His Majesty King Victor Tularay helped me to understand that for South Africans, the land is essential, is the essential element to attaining that goal. Meanwhile, President Cyril Ramaphosa has urged the Babedi people to affirm the king's dream of unity for their nation. The kingdom underwent internal strife following the death of Tulare's father, King Sikukune III, in 2007, as to who was the rightful heir. The Ntlapo Commission on Traditional Leadership Disputes and the Constitutional Court finally confirmed Tulare's claim over that of his uncle, Kenneth Khaudi Sikukune III, in May last year. When he was officially recognized, Kosi Tulare shared his aspiration for the peace and the unity of his kingdom so that they could collectively chart a new path of reconciliation after the many years of strife. He wanted to see development and prosperity for the people in this area. In fact, even before ascending to the throne, he preached unity, which he said was a fitting gift to the ancestors who bequeathed this generation this vast land. Let his dreams not die with him. At South Africa's President Sul Ramaphosa ending that report by Busi Chimombe. In each and every one of us, there, there is a purpose and grace. We were all meant to shine. It is up to an individual to, to realize, realize that purpose. Don't ever let somebody tell you you can't do something. Join me, Amanda Machaga, on Life by Design, where I will be talking to people who share their journey on how they discovered their purpose with the hope to inspire you to, to live, live your life, life by, by design. design. Tune in to Life by Design for your dose, dose of, of Monday, Monday motivation. motivation every Monday at 8 a.m. Central African time and at 2 a.m. the following day. Life, life by, by design, design, be the architect of your life. life. Only on Channel Africa, the African, the African perspective. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. It's 7.15 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine, coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Tributes continue to pour in for the late Guazul-Natal MEC for Transport, Community Safety and Liaison, Begin Duli in South Africa. The province's premier, Sitlis Galala, confirmed that Nduli succumbed to COVID-19-related complications in a Durban hospital. Nduli was appointed MEC in September 2019. For about 10 years, he was a member of various committees, including the Transport Portfolio Committee. He also served as chairperson of the Community Safety and Liaison Portfolio Committee in the legislature. Final Mklongo reports. Fighting the scourge of gender-based violence remain our primary focus. 
The 63-year-old Begintuli was born in Tobatuba in northern Guazul-Natal. He cut his political teeth working in ANC underground structures in its military wing Omkondowe Sizwem. He previously served as a shop steward for the National Union of Metal Workers of South Africa. Tuli was involved in the formation of ANC structures in the then northern Natal region. He served for more than 15 years as the chairperson of the ANC in the Musadlada region. He also has served more than 20 years as a member and leader of the ANC subcommittee on peace and stability. He was a member of council and the chairperson of the council of the University of Zuland. Tuli was involved in numerous community development projects and assisted community organizations and young people. KwaZulu-Natal Premier Sihle Zigalala has described Ntuli's death as a great loss to the province. MEC Ntuli passed away in Deben Hospital due to COVID-19 related complications. Throughout his life in politics, he has been a humble, loyal, dedicated, hardworking and exemplary servant of the people of KwaZulu-Natal. M.E. Sinduli has been on the forefront and occupied the front line to combat working in and out in all government efforts to combat the impact of COVID-19 on our citizens. He is a soldier who died with his boots on. He was a team player who will always lead from the front, including when it, come, when it came to fighting COVID-19 in the province. Zigalala says during his tenure as ANC, Dooley had begun to implement a number of programs that were aimed at reversing the tide of gender-based violence, sexy violence, and reducing the carnage on the province's roads. He has consistently displayed exceptional leadership and wisdom. His charm and charisma enabled him to tackle the most challenging aspect of his book. He crisscrossed the province, ensuring that the people adhere to COVID-19 protocols. His loss is therefore a major blow to the province's effort to improve and harmonize the lived experience of the people of KwaZulu-Natal in various spheres of life, not least in the gallant fight that we are waging against this deadly virus. The ANC in KwaZulu-Natal has expressed shock following the death of its provincial executive member. ANC provincial spokesperson Tagane Pontombela says Ntuli worked for the ANC throughout his entire life. We were shocked. It was not expected. It was not something that ends the page because I last had a conversation with him last week. He was getting better. So we assumed that he will be coming back with full force to do his responsibilities. Suddenly, the breaking news. Is something we had not expected as an organization. He was a PC member of the ANC. Previously, he served as one of the longest serving chairs of the ANC in the northern and the region.
Mutoli has been described by many as a jovial person. IFP President Velenko Sinihlabisa and Provincial DA leader Zwagele Mwango have described Ntuli as a leader who was able to work with all political parties. Begin Ntuli as the MEC was a humble person, a person who was approachable from all angles and he was tolerant of all political parties in the legislature right before the time when he was a chairperson of the portfolio and up to the time when he was appointed as the MEC. He always wanted to uh, go with other leaders. He never really uh, classified us as just opposition, but he always classified us as members uh, of this nature, uh, people who are working together. Kwazulu Natal Santako Chaperson Boy Zondi says Ntule's passing is a great loss for the transport sector. Zondi says they work closely with Ntule in trying to resolve conflicts in the taxi industry. We've been working very, very closely with uh, the MEC in trying to address the issues of uh, the taxi industry. It is a great loss. To us as uh, the taxi industry, we've had a wonderful MEC out of Mpemba, an MEC who was always willing to listen to the issues of the taxi industry, and not only willing to listen, but he was addressing the issues of the taxi industry. We could see that we were going somewhere working with the MEC. Funeral arrangements are yet to be confirmed. I'm Fanele Mshongo in Deben. The Guazul Natal government in South Africa has urged residents to go to hospital as soon as they experience COVID-19 symptoms. This as the province continues to rank first in the country in terms of the number of active cases and the fourth highest countrywide in terms of fatalities. Nontlaganipo Magwaza reports. The KwaZulu-Natal government says the infection rate continues to increase in several districts, which include Etsegwini, Umkungundlovu and Utsukel. Over the last seven days, the province has recorded 29,147 new infections. Premier Sihle Zigalala has urged people who have recovered from COVID-19 not to think they will not get reinfected. They are dangerous in a sense that they create a false sense of security. That implies that when people recover from COVID-19, they will not contract the virus again. That is very reckless because there is a growing body of evidence and scientific evidence, uh, and as well as living examples, that prove that it is possible to get reinfected. Zigalala also says the Provincial Coronavirus Command Council will announce a rollout plan for the COVID-19 vaccine this coming week. We're putting in place a plan that will ensure that we roll out vaccines faster when they become available. Our starting point is education and awareness and debunking the myth that unfortunately surround the vaccine because for us, this will be an important race to save lives. We are increasing our testing and screening capabilities. We are working on vaccination sites in all the districts of our province, ensuring that they are in good state of readiness. The Guazulu-Natal government says provincial hospitals are not yet full, but the numbers are increasing 
and the number of people succumbing to COVID-19 has also increased. Health MEC Nomakuku Simela Nizulu says they have seen a trend of a growing number of people who go to hospital when they are too ill. We have found that in the past few, uh, few days, those that are presenting at home, so that are presenting to our facilities, they present with extremely low oxygen uh, state in their body. And once you have very low oxygen within your system, it becomes extremely difficult uh, to pull it up. Some actually make it, but some don't. So we, 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 I'm glad you asked me that question because it's given me an opportunity to make this call again, to say, can people really go to our facilities and, and be told there uh, whether it's necessary to admit you or not? Zigalala has urged people to continue to be vigilant. I'm Nuntlagani Pumakwaza in Durban. Tributes are pouring in for South Africa's internationally acclaimed veteran actor Sam Phillips, who succumbed to a COVID-19-related illness on Saturday morning. The 72-year-old was in hospital from the 29th of December until his passing. Phillips featured in well-known productions including Pamukati, Backstage, Soul City, The Wild and Isibaya. Ditaba has more. The family of Sam Phillips says he lived for his family. His daughter Mbumi Phillips says the family is still struggling to come to terms with his passing. Um, I just remember him as, as a, you know, an amazing father who just made you feel special and loved and who, you know, who loved his grandchildren, who lived for his grandchildren. It's very difficult, you know. Um, my dad was, was the pillar of the family. He was the strength, you know, and it was... It's, it's not going to be easy to lose such, you know, such, such, a, such a pillar for us. His longtime friend and colleague, Lillian Dube, says that she lost her brother. This legend, Alan, that is Sam Phillips. This legend, Sam Phillips, I met him in the 80s when we were shooting a film. Later, he relocated to America. In 1995, when I went for my honeymoon, I visited him when he was in L.A., he took me to Detroit, Chicago, Las Vegas. He even took me to the rural areas of Lesotho when I lost my brother. We did many things together. He's more than a blood brother. He's more than a blood brother. Phillips had also established an academy where he was teaching young aspirant actors. Need concentration in everything. And he says, higher. Stop. I want everybody to talk at the same time. His agent, Gaino Artist Management, says the arts industry has lost an icon. It says Phillips played a pivotal role in shaping the acting industry. Phillips crazed the South African TV screens for decades. He was an actor, writer, producer and music composer. Here is Philippe's agent, Lynn Higgins. He was an amazing man. We will miss him. We loved him. He was an icon in our industry. And there are no words to cover how devastated we at Gaynors are. He was part of our family. He was our grandfather in our family. He, he knew so many people from theater to TV to writing to script writing to films. There's so much that he has done in the industry and so many people he's met on the way and placed on the way. Memorial and funeral service arrangements are underway. Amdi Dabatsotezi in Johannesburg. 
Parents and guardians in South Africa are preparing themselves for the possibility that they might once again have to provide homeschooling for their children. The Basic Education Department has postponed the reopening of schools by a further two weeks as the number of COVID-19 cases continues to escalate, putting a strain on health care facilities. Many teachers have also succumbed to the virus. Some independent schools have alerted parents that they would need to come to school to fit study packs and teach their children at home. Tsebo Pagan has more. This Johannesburg mother who prefers anonymity because she does not want her daughter identified is stressed that she and her husband will now have to set aside time between their equally demanding daily work activities to teach their little one who was scheduled to start school this year. She has not mustered up enough courage to tell her daughter, who is looking forward to starting school, that she will not be sitting behind the desk on Monday. As a parent, I'm so stressed and so frustrated because this is the first year of my little daughter to go to school. And she's so excited that she's going to school next week. Now there's a change, she's no longer going there. And I can't even tell her that next week she doesn't even go to school because she was so excited because going to school and then meeting new friends, doing whatever, new things. What is more stressful for her is that she and her husband will now have to teach their daughter from home. The independent school where she had enrolled her daughter has sent her a text message informing her that she needs to come and collect study packs that she will use to teach her child whilst at home. And the thing of uh, teaching a child at home, for me, it's going to be difficult because me and my husband are working. We go to work every day. So who's going to teach her whilst we are working? So meaning she has to wait for us to come back and teach her. And it's just for us because we don't even know what is happening, the syllabus. As it's, it's frustrating. Sean Green is the chairperson of the Association for Homeschooling. He says one of the biggest causes of homeschooling failure is burnout. Green says homeschooling is not the same as traditional schooling and there are many things about schooling that are not necessarily well suited to education at home. Families that find themselves involved in educating their own children in the home should ask themselves these two questions with regard to their actions. Do we really need to do this? And number two, are we getting the most out of this? If they ask themselves these questions carefully, they will find that the home can be a very efficient learning environment that is also flexible and customized to the learner. The National Alliance of Independent Schools Association, NISA, has welcomed the delayed reopening of schools. They say there is a need to save lives given the escalating number of new COVID-19 cases. NISA Chairperson, Manjam Tembu. We want to encourage um, all our schools to explore the online programs which they've been using since last year when the lockdown began. We want to think that um, schools can be able to make headway and cover a lot of um, the curriculum using online programs. And those schools which do not have online programs, we also want to encourage them to make materials available to parents and learners while they're at home. The Independent Schools Association of Southern Africa, ISASA, says the two weeks delay is an inconvenience. However, it is not as disruptive as was experienced last year. ISASA's Executive Director, Lebuhang Monjani. ISASA and its member schools 
are happy to apply the two-week delay from these scheduled dates, as requested by government, and confirm that, in the case of independent schools, which share the public school calendar, we have advised them to open for in-person instruction on the 15th of February, 2021. Teachers Union Satu has called on the department to show leadership regarding the independent schools that have already opened or are set to open on Monday by closing them down if they are not embarking on remote learning. I'm Tsepo Pahani in Johannesburg. Due to general changes in programming on Channel Africa from the 8th of July, Africa of the Future will now be on air Tuesdays between 8 hours and 9 hours Central African time. We apologize for any inconvenience caused to you, our valued listener. Gateway to Africa is our entertaining and educational tourism travel and business show join us every wednesday at 10 hours central african time as we explore the tourism landscape in africa make a date with gateway to africa every wednesday at 10 hours central african time africa rise and shine africa Zorza. africa amuka na unai The city of Cape Town in South Africa's coastal province of the Western Cape says many businesses in the metro are on the brink of collapse after losing trading hours every night because of the latest COVID-19 curfew. Mayoral Committee Member for Economic Opportunities James Foss says he's inundated with calls and correspondence from desperate businesses in the hospitality, manufacturing, retail and SMMEs. Foss has written to Cooperative Governance Minister Nkosa Zanatlamini-Zuma asking her to extend the hours of the curfew. Chris Mabuya reports. Losing trading hours every night has pushed many businesses to the brink with many not being able to retain customers, pay bills, or keep staff employed. Their problems have also been worsened by the recent load shedding. Some of those struggling to stay afloat under revised Level 3 lockdown regulations have appealed to the city authorities to ask government to reconsider its decision. Business owner Noba Sembambisa says times are tough. This is really bad. We literally have no customers for two weeks because as sad as it is. And we have to retrench some staff as well because there's no work. And it's really affecting us. We need the government to please uh, bear with us and just maybe release the alcohol ban. And we cannot survive for another month if this is going to carry on like this. Restaurant owner in Kemps Bay, Mike Miller, says his business is also struggling to stay open due to the ban on the sale of alcohol. It's been pretty tough for us. The curfew, it's not really much of an issue. The alcohol sales is more of a deterrent than the, the curfew. The people understand that you know they can't be out late at night, so we don't really have any dramas with that so you know we close our kitchen at a certain time so we can have the staff home before the curfew and everybody's pretty understanding about that but it it is a struggle you know people want to come out in the evening you know and it's been very tough 
The city of Cape Town has now made a plea to government to extend the curfew in a bid to save businesses. Mayoral Committee Member for Economic Opportunities, James Foss. We don't make this request lightly, but in a bid to save what's left. And we are confident that by extending the curfew on the strict condition of the implementation of the health and safety measures, we will be able to give these sectors the lifeline they need to stay open and save jobs. The Cape Chamber of Commerce's Janine Maybeck has also expressed concern about having to close their doors at 8 p.m. We don't make this decision willy-nilly, but we do know the serious effect that the curfew has on the economy of the Western Cape. So we do support the extension of the curfew, provided that the protocols are adhered to strictly. While the full extent of the various lockdowns on business closures and job losses is yet to be established, thousands of businesses and jobs have potentially been lost or at risk. Earlier indications are that the infection rate in the Western Cape is stabilizing and saving lives as well as livelihoods continues to be a priority. I'm Chris Mabuya in Cape Town. Tourist destinations in Guruman and Katu in, North, in South Africa's Northern Cape Province are popular stopovers for people traveling to Namibia. These areas are now feeling the pinch of the prolonged COVID-19 lockdown. Guest houses and lodge owners say the curfew has severely affected their businesses. And Poli Bedi reports. A tourist destination popular as a stopover for those traveling to Namibia. In the past few years, a lot of international business professionals from as far as Germany, Spain and China came here for mining business ventures and to work at a number of solar plants being put up. Red Sands Reservationist, Poshia Jeko. We normally attract people from overseas, like people passing by going to Kalahadi or we actually accommodate people like in mine workers and so on. So the beauty of our place is that it's in the bush and then everything is quiet here. So most of the corporate clients, they come here and work here because it's quiet. The pandemic brought international traveling to a halt and establishments now solely rely on local clients. But the traveling curfew has impacted on local stopovers, turning the situation from bad to worse. Namakwasi Lodge General Manager in Katu, Andre van der Merwe. Borders closed, contact is coming in. It's basically, you can't get people over the border in Namibia. We do a lot of tours from Namibia, Botswana. The second wave of the coronavirus has hit the hospitality sector hard, and there is calls that we support our local gems, such as this one. Tatawai is this beautiful place among the hills of Kuruman, with peace and quietness. I'm Pauli Bedi, Kuruman. Judgment has been reserved in the urgent application to stop the release of an investigative report into racial profiling of doctors in South Africa. The Gauteng High Court held an urgent virtual sitting into the merits of the urgent interdict by the Government Employees Medical Schemes, GEMS, and the healthcare funders. The report was supposed to be released on Sunday. Malusi Obusing reports. 
The Section 59 report compiled by Advocate Tembeka Nukaitobi was supposed to be released yesterday but was stopped by the urgent interdict application. South Africa's biggest medical scheme, GEMS, argued that the Section 59 investigative report contains scathing findings against GEMS that will have severe repercussions for the scheme. They argued that it is not within the powers of Section 59 to release the report. They also argued that releasing the report will cause them irreparable harm, be prejudicial to them, and damage their reputation. They say it is not stated in the Section 59 panels found in terms of reference that the report should be made public. The two bodies also argued that the report should only be handed over to the Council of Medical Aids and that they should be given enough time to respond to the contents of the report. James and Board of Healthcare funders wanted the report be interdicted pending an application for a declarator to determine the exact powers and functions of the panel. Council for the Section 59 panel, however, emphasized that there was no basis for the urgent application since James had ample time to stop the release of the probe report but failed to act. They argued the agency cited by the applicants was self-created. They asked the court to dismiss the application as they knew as far back as last year that the report would be released to the public. The Section 59 investigation report was supposed to be released late last year but was postponed several times and finally scheduled for release yesterday. The probe started in 2019 following several allegations by medical practitioners of racial discrimination allegedly by medical schemes and administrators. I'm Maluti Ubuseng in Pretoria. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka. It wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today. From myself, Lulu Gabu, and the team, thank you for joining us. Now, taking us to the top of the hour for the news is uh, Simpua Dana with a track titled Bantu Biko Street. Goodbye and keep safe.